I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. This is a wonderful Sunday to gather, to worship God, to connect with one another. I don't know how people go week by week without going to church. I just don't get it because it's, it strengthens us and inspires us and helps us fight the fight. So welcome to everyone. We're so glad that you are here this morning. Of course, we've been dealing with the subject created with intent. God created us with a certain purpose in mind. And it's as we discover that purpose that we find out God's purpose for us. We know that God created us male and female, that we might be united and as one flesh give rise to the next generation, as God said when he blessed men and women who he created in his own image, be fruitful and multiply. So that points us to marriage, and I want to ha talk about that some today. But you know, we just, we just clapped for Cliff, 60th birthday. I'm sorry, but, but big deal. <laughs> and I say that, I say that because this morning I talked with Coach Joe Wyatt, and I found out he and Barbara have been married 68 years today. Is that awesome? There is only one explanation for that. Barbara is a saint. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> Congratulations, Coach and Barbara. We're, we're happy for you. You know, it doesn't always turn out that way. It's not always a happy ending. We know that. God's intention is that the man and woman are united. They become one flesh until, as we say in weddings, until death do them part. But so often it's not death, it's divorce that ends the marriage. So as we're talking about God's purpose and God's intention, his creational intent, we need to talk about divorce. That's one of those questions that we can't evade. And it's interesting because Jesus talks about it and quotes the very passage we read last week from Genesis chapter 2. And that's where I want to begin this morning. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 2, let's read. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, divorce happens. This is a fallen world. We are people prone to sin. Our relationships sometimes become deeply troubled and divorce happens. 
But you don't decide what is good and right by what happens. We go to God's word and God's intentions, and that's what Jesus does. He goes back before the fall, and he says, here's God's intention, that the man is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. And no one is to separate that. Death may separate the man and woman, but divorce certainly should not. That's what Jesus makes clear. So divorce is always, always a bad thing. It's always a bad thing. There's no question about that. And we need to do all we can to enhance marriage, to help people, to, to, to have a healthy relationship so that they can endure, so that they can make it to 68 years or however long as they're serving God. But even though the, all of that's true, divorce does happen and the, and the honest truth of it is sometimes it is the best thing to do when all you have is a set of bad options. I don't mean it's a good thing. It's never a good thing. It is not God's original plan. But sometimes, well, sometimes it's like war. Who's for war? Who's for war? Who's for killing? Who's for slaughter? Who's for the suffering of war? None of us. And yet, unless you're a pacifist, you would agree there are some times when war is inevitable and necessary. And that's what happens, I think, with divorce. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they want to know about divorce. And the first thing the Lord wants to say is it's not a good thing. God didn't intend for divorce to take place. And they wanted to ask, well, you know, it does happen, so... What about that? And what about what Moses said? Moses said that you should give a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, Moses did that because of the hardness of your heart. What he meant was that divorce happens and the law was given to mitigate the harm caused by divorce. A woman in, in that society had to be attached to a man. If she wasn't under her father's roof or her brother's roof, she would be under her husband's roof. And that was very, very important. If a woman was divorced, she needed a certificate of divorce so that she could get remarried. Because unless she got remarried, she would be in a terrible state. And so the law was given to mitigate the suffering caused by divorce. But Jesus says, you don't get your ethics from this law that's trying to, trying to smooth out a bumpy situation. This law is meant to somehow deal with the world where hearts are hard and bad things happen. Now, when I say hearts are hard, I mean, that's where divorce comes from. But that doesn't mean that the blame for a divorce is equally on both partners. It may be or it may not be. Often you have someone who, while not perfect, is innocent of causing the divorce, even if they're put in a position where they actually have to initiate it. They are innocent of it, and yet here it has come. So I'm not saying that everyone is equally guilty if they've been divorced. I'm simply saying that Hardness of heart is what brings about divorce. That's what Jesus makes plain right here. So you look at this and you ask, all right, well, what about finding God's purpose for your life when 
plan A has been blown apart. That is, God wants us to be united in marriage until death do us part, and instead of death, divorce has separated us. Now how do I find God's purpose for my life? That's the question that comes. Is it possible to live happily even after divorce? That's the question. And the short answer to that is yes. And it's a yes that applies not just to those who've gone through divorce, but to all of us who have found that we've made mistakes that have jeopardized God's good purpose for our lives, or we've done things where we've fallen short in different ways that God's ideal has not been fulfilled. There is redemption for us, all of us. And so for us to find God's good purpose for our lives, we need to lean into the God of redemption. Because God works, even where things go wrong, to restore and heal and help. So, for example, in Psalm 100, it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. God redeems us from the pit. The pit was a, a ditch that they would, that they would dig in, in ancient Israel, trying to catch animals. It was a trap. The animal would fall in. Sometimes people would fall in the pit. And, and the word actually came to mean, in some contexts, grave. And so we find ourselves stepping into the trap. We find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves in a place where everything's falling apart, where our hopes have died. And God redeems us from the pit. And he crowns us with love and compassion or mercy, as if we're royalty, he doesn't leave us in the place where he found us. He satisfies our desires with good things. God doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, you blew it. That's the end of good things for you. No, God cares for his people and he sees the desires of our hearts and he gives good things to us so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. We can soar again. Life doesn't end with divorce or with any setback. God redeems us. Israel found itself in an impossible situation because of Israel's own sin. Israel is in exile in Babylon. Would the nation even continue to exist? There's no other parallel, no other nation that's been sent off into exile that comes back intact as Israel did. So it's an open question. Will Israel survive this exile? And the answer from the prophet is yes. And God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 41, do not fear for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Hebrew root for dismayed means to gaze. And and the picture here is of looking all around and seeing the wreckage, seeing, seeing the disaster that's happened. And you're unsettled by it. You're shaken by it. It seems hopeless. You are dismayed. And the prophet says, or God through the prophet says, be not dismayed. I am your God. I am still your God. And I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. This morning I was looking at that verse and I thought of something I hadn't thought about for quite some time. I went to my bookshelf and I pulled down this volume. Do you know what this is? This is a Baptist hymnal. (laughs) Have you ever seen one of these? Look, it says the Baptist hymnal. And there's a hymn, How Firm a Foundation, that actually cites, quotes that verse From Isaiah 41, I quoted a moment ago. Listen to what it says. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace All sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's good, isn't it? That's gospel. That's a God of redemption. God intervenes to heal and put right. He doesn't abandon people. We have all made mistakes, and your life is not not the sum of your mistakes. Your life is... Your life is transformed by the grace of God. There's life ahead for you. Divorce doesn't end that. Now, the question naturally arises, given the text that we just read, what about remarriage? When we talk about God redeeming people, is remarriage a possibility? And if you've been remarried, will God bless my marriage? There are some people who would say no. And they would say no because Jesus right here says that if you're divorced and you get remarried, you commit adultery. So in the Roman Catholic Church, for example, um, it's said that if you are divorced and you're remarried, you're in an objective state of adultery and you're not allowed to receive the Lord's Supper. And in many Protestant churches, something similar to that is taught. Now, there are lots of different opinions on these verses and on this issue. 
Literally thousands of books have been written on both a popular and academic level dealing with divorce and remarriage as it's taught in the Bible. I've read lots of it, not all of it. And I've arrived at an opinion which is not infallible. That doesn't need to be said even. You know that my opinion is hardly infallible. But I want to share with you my considered judgment on this issue. And I, I offer it, the confession, I'm not infallible, but also, hopefully, with your understanding that I'm not uninformed of the issues and that I speak as a pastor who feels the weight of responsibility, because I do. I feel a real weight of responsibility to publicly state a view on something that can be quite controversial and people get very emotional about, but I think it's really important to do it. When Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage, it's absolutely essential that we understand he is giving a before-the-fact warning. Let me explain it this way or illustrate it this way. Many years ago, I was pastor of a small church, and a, a couple came to the church, and they seemed blown away. They were, so, they were so happy to be there. They were speaking to everyone. They came to visit me in my office two weeks later. And they wanted me to know this was the most wonderful church they have ever attended. People were so friendly. The worship was wonderful. And the preaching, oh my goodness, the preaching. They'd never heard preaching like this. Immediately, I found myself liking this couple. <laughs> I whispered to myself, you're not the Messiah, you're not the Messiah, you're not the Messiah, but, you know, tell me more, tell me more. Oh, they loved it so much. This was, they sensed the Lord's presence. It was wonderful. Well, tell me more about yourself. Well, you know, we, we, we are just in love. We want to get married. And after visiting this church and hearing your sermons, oh, your sermons, we thought you'd be the perfect person. We wanted to ask you to do our, our wedding. Well, tell me your story. How'd you all meet? And they told me just a little, and it didn't sound quite right. And I said, well, what date were you thinking you wanted to get married? And the man I'll call him Jay. I don't remember their names, but uh, call her Allison. I don't remember her name. But Jay said to me, well, we, we can't set a date yet. We're waiting until Allison's divorce goes through. And I said, oh, oh, wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about this. Tell me more. Well, she was in a loveless marriage. They didn't care about each other anymore. They they, you know, hardly spoke to one another. And then she met Jay. And it was like angels sang. And, and the clouds parted. And the light shone down upon him. And, and they began to talk. And they've never been able to talk with each, another person the way they can talk with each other. First time they talked, they talked for hours. They finally found their soulmate. And I said, you know, there's a little bit of problem here. You know, you were married to somebody else, so this really can't be of God here, this relationship that's going on. And they said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. We pray together. Every time we get together, we pray. 
We just hold hands and talk to the Lord and we feel so close to the Lord and and so close to one another. And God has blessed us in this relationship. We are growing like we've never grown before. And we just feel the love of Jesus in our relationship. And so we want to get married. And I said, it's not the love of Jesus. It is hormones. That is what I said. I said that. I said that. And the crazy thing is, in spite of the friendly people, the dynamic worship, and, oh, the preaching, in spite of the great preaching, I never saw them again. (laughs) They split. What I said to them, though, was, I said, listen, you may get your divorce, Allison, and it may be legal, but it doesn't make it right. It may be legal, and so legally, it's not adultery. But in God's eyes, for you to divorce your husband to get married to Jay, that's adultery. That's what it is. A before-the-fact command, warning people that you don't get to trade up to a new model. You don't get to say, you know what, this marriage is really, really hard. Why don't I get rid of this one and try again? Let me find somebody better. In fact, I don't really mind divorcing this one because I always turn around and marry somebody else. See, that kind of mentality, Jesus says, it might be legal. And, And to Jews in the first century, they may look at the command of Moses and say, it's according to Torah. I'll give a bill of divorce to my wife. It may be legal, but before God, it is adultery. Now, that is a very different situation than someone who finds themselves standing amid the shambles of a failed marriage, and they're just trying to move on with their lives. And somewhere down the line, the the question arises, is it acceptable for me to get married? Well, if it's not, it's one of the few things that, that can't be forgiven and covered and redeemed, which is a strange thing. And what's more, if Jesus intended us to take it that way, it's rather strange that he cites Moses. You know, he, he says that Moses gave the law because of the hardness of heart, and he seems to approve of the law in that context. That law was given so that a woman could get remarried. That was the whole purpose of it, to protect her, to mitigate the evil. Jesus seems to have no issue with that. And then he turns around and says, no remarriage? See, it's a before-the-fact issue, not an after-the-fact issue. And I'm afraid that sometimes, we, by forgetting that, we can, we can really put people in a terrible bind. When I was first a seminary professor, it was Friday afternoon, and I'm in my office. I'm the only one in his office because I'm the new guy without tenure. All the old guys had been home since lunchtime. A telephone call came to the seminary from from Pennsylvania. That's rather strange. A lady had a question for a seminary professor. Well, I got the call. To abbreviate the story, she was married to a man. They had no children. The marriage failed, and it failed because 
Well, it wasn't a healthy marriage, and she met someone else, and she left him for that someone. And she told me it was just adultery. That's what it was. She ends up remarrying this man. They have two children. They've now been married at that time. I think it was 15 years or more. And she and her second husband are wanting to straighten up their lives. They, they know they're not living the right way, and they want to turn back to God. They'd been raised in church, and, and, and they, wanted to, they wanted to get right with Christ. And so they went back to church, and the message they received was this. The only way you can be forgiven and escape hell is if you divorce one another and seek reconciliation with the first spouse. That's the only way. This poor woman was so distraught because she says, what am I going to do with my children? My children, I, I just, you know, they're the ones who are going to suffer. And she felt, she felt caught between ripping the heart out of her children and going to hell. That's how, that's how it looked to her. So she's asking me about this. And, and we're talking, we're talking through scriptures, and she was very hard to, to encourage because she was so afraid that she would believe something that wasn't true. But, you know, it occurs to me, Jesus, when dealing with some religious folks who really want to uphold God's standards and God's holiness and God's commands, they treated the Sabbath as if, if it's, as if its holiness meant that human beings were to serve the Sabbath. But Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And God gave the Sabbath as a gift, and it had become a curse to some. And in the same way, God has given marriage as a gift, and then things happen. And things fall apart, and people are seeking to, to move forward with their lives, and people say, well, I'm sorry, you were made for marriage, not marriage for you. It's over for you. I simply tell you, I don't think that's true. I think the command of the Lord is a before-the-fact kind of command, and it's not a word for someone whose life is falling apart who's just trying to put together the pieces. I told this, young, this woman who is on the phone, um, I quoted from Luke chapter 7. You remember the woman who loved Christ. She had been forgiven, and yet she's weeping at his feet because though she loves him, not all is well with her heart. She has everyone around judging her for her life. And Jesus, to reassure her, says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's what I would say to you. Whatever, whatever the situation, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I know there are lots of situations. It's not just, oh, well, yes, you can get remarried. There, there, there are things to be considered here. But you understand what I'm saying. Redemption is real. I knew a man. I stayed at his house every week when I was a professor at, at Baylor because we lived in Fort Worth and driving back and forth was a lot of work. So I'd stay in his house each week. And 
Um, so I remember that he had in the backyard a compost heap. And everything that, you know, all the scraps you would have from your meals would go onto that compost heap. And the leaves that were raked up would go onto that compost heap. And he would add some fertilizer to it now and then. And all of this garbage is piled up and turns into this rich soil out of which could grow flowers, out of which a garden could come. So much fertility, so much life from this soil emerging out of that which was dead. And in the same way, because of God's grace, because of his redemptive mercy, all the mistakes we make, God somehow has a way of turning that into something fruitful. So there is hope for everyone, and there is a future for everyone. When we're looking at Genesis and we're seeing God's creational intent, what he desires for us, it's not like he lays out a blueprint and says, okay, do this and everything's going to be fine. And if you blow it, you're on your own. That's not the way it is. God calls us to something good. God blesses us richly. We too often fail, but God does not abandon us. Amen. We're going to pray. And I want to ask you if, if it's in your heart now, you sense that God is calling you back to him and you want to be forgiven, you want to be rescued from the pit, you want to have life restored, pray to him now. Pray to him now. And when the service is over, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you want all your garbage to be turned fruitful somehow, some way, I want you to come to the front of the room here. I'm going to be here, and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we are mindful that you are a good God, and you have set before us a way of blessing, and it's a, it's a path that, Lord, sometimes we stray from, but we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are the redeeming God, and so there's always hope in you. And will you please, this morning, fill with hope and faith, Lord, everyone here who's, who's discouraged and distressed, who's dismayed, Lord, remind them that you are their God. And Lord, may the person who even now knows that they don't know you, but who wants to know you, may you give them the grace to turn over their life into your care right now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.